Romans 5, 3 through 5. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Don't forget that in three weeks we're going to be hosting Harvest Weekend. We have a, a special weekend planned for a Friday night, Saturday night, and Sunday lessons presented by Brother Matt Cook from the Stantonville Church of Christ up in Tennessee. Uh, we have this special weekend that we have the lessons geared toward uh, subject matters that will be important for those who are, who are unchurched, for lack of better terminology. For those in our community who have no uh, biblical background, it'll be a perfect opportunity to invite your neighbors, your friends, your co-workers, your peers, anyone that you think could benefit from these lessons. So please keep that on your radar. It's in three weeks, the last weekend of August, and it will be a Friday night, a Saturday night, and an all-day Sunday event. And don't forget, um, we have that big fruit night on Friday that Ben was so excited to tell you about last week. We got a fruit night, we've got an ice cream night, and then we've got a potluck on Sunday. So, so be sure to plan for those fellowship opportunities as well. That's just as beneficial as the time of study will be. So plan on being here for Harvest Weekend and bringing uh, people that could benefit from that time of study as well. Now, you may notice Elijah's not up on the screen today. Well, two years ago, I, I started doing sermons related to back-to-school themes. When we get to this time of year and our students are returning to school, I, I thought it would be pertinent each year to do some sort of lesson that, that has application to to uh, life for our young people as they return to school. In 2019, I did a sermon based on the life of Daniel that, that talked about the choices we make. Last year, I, I failed to do this. I did not have a back-to-school sermon, but I, I have good reason. Uh, during the first two Sundays of August last year, I didn't preach because we were well welcoming some little girl into this world who will turn one tomorrow. So I, I, I hope you excuse me for not continuing that last year. This year I want to return to this theme, to doing some sort of lesson that connects to this time of year when our students return to school. Just seeing that image right now angers some of you. For some of you, you're, that, that's ex, it's exciting to return to school. Micah loves school. She can't wait for summer to end so she can return to school. I'm not sure if it's because she loves learning that much or because she's just tired of being around me and mom. But she loves school. And there are kids that, that love that. But do we have the right mindset? Are we prepared to re-enter that environment for the next nine months? And I'm not just talking to those who are in elementary school, middle school, high school, but even those of you who are getting ready to take off to college. Are you ready? This morning I want to talk about character. As we equip ourselves to return to school, and as you and I as adults just go through life every day, let's think about character. 
Because character counts. John Wooden, the legendary basketball coach for the UCLA Bruins, he once said, be more concerned with your character than with your reputation. Your character is what you really are, while your reputation is merely what others think you are. His point was that character matters because character is who you are when you take off the mask, who you are when you remove the disguises, who you are when you strip away all the layers that you hide behind, who you are when no one is around. Ultimately, character is just another word for your integrity. That's our focus this morning. And outside of Christ, the greatest example of character in the Bible is a guy named Joseph. As one preacher said, Joseph was a biblical character who had a lot of biblical character. And I think Joseph is one of the most underrated characters in all of Scripture. Thirteen chapters are dedicated to him in the book of Genesis. Thirteen chapters dedicated to the life of this one guy named Joseph. And yet he often gets overlooked. He receives more attention in the book of Genesis than any other single character. That's, that's more chapters dedicated to him than Adam, than Noah, than Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob. In fact, more is written about the life of Joseph than any other Old Testament character other than Moses and David. And yet he doesn't really get esteemed to the same level as those guys. So what I want to do this morning is I want us to turn to the life of Joseph. And I want us to see what we can learn about character. How that matters particularly as, as our young people return to school and endure the next nine months and how it can apply to our everyday life. Because when we pay attention to Joseph's life, we learn a lot about character. In particular, we learn that character will be tested. Character is going to be challenged at some point in your life. You're going to face numerous tests that are going to determine whether or not you really have character. Joseph demonstrates that well for us. You know, we read just a moment ago in our scripture reading, Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5, and Paul says in that passage that we should rejoice in our sufferings. Now, I don't know about you, but I've always considered any experience of suffering to be a test because they're not pleasant periods of suffering are not enjoyable they're not wanted they're not something that you desire but they do produce things oftentimes they produce worthwhile things and in Romans chapter 5 and verses 3 through 5 Paul indicates that one of the byproducts of suffering is character And there are two primary ways that your character is going to be tested. Joseph experienced them both. The first way your character is going to get tested is by people who mistreat you. Joseph's story begins when he's 17 years old. You guys can relate with that. 
17 years old. It's one of the rare instances in Scripture where there is a young man identified, and we actually know the age he is in his youth. 17 years old. 17 years old, his story begins, and it begins with his brothers selling him into slavery. Now, a lot of us have siblings. And you may not always get along with your brother or your sister. You may not always enjoy your siblings. You may have knockdown, drag-out fights with your sibling. You may have at times so despised and disliked your sibling that you wished they weren't part of your family anymore and they were completely out of your life, but you ain't got nothing on Joseph and his brothers. Joseph and his brothers, it went to a whole other level. Here's Joseph sent in Genesis chapter uh, 37. He sent to check his brothers by dear old dad. Dad says, hey, your brothers are out there miles away. They're taking care of the sheep. And I, I want you to go check on them. I want you to bring back a report, tell me how they're doing, that sort of thing. And his brothers are out there miles from home. They see Joseph approaching. And they've come to the point that they so hate Joseph, and Scripture uses that word, hate. They so hate Joseph that as he's approaching, they start discussing. They come up with this plan. In verse 18 of Genesis chapter 37, a plan to kill him. It's not just something that they talked about. It's something that they're actually devising. Their plan is, okay, when he gets here, we're going to ca capture him. We're going to kill him. We're going to throw his body in one of these pits out here. And then we're going to tell everybody that a, a fierce animal devoured him. I mean, they, they've gone to the point of this all the way through. They thought of what they're going to do, how they're going to cover it up, and what they're going to tell everybody. But then they, they kind of wisen up. And they realize, we, don't, we, we, we can't kill him. But then we don't profit. So let's sell him. At least that way we make some money off this whole thing. We still get rid of him, but we can make money. It's not a better plan. It's just a more profitable plan. These guys are wicked to the max. That's, that's the 17th year of his life. He hasn't even gotten a vote yet. That's how Joseph's story starts. Now, we need to back up for a moment. Why does, why does his brothers hate him? Why do his brothers hate him this much? It's got to be something big, right? There's a few indicators in the text of Genesis 37. We find out that they hated him because they thought he was a tattletale. On one occasion, if you back up to verse 2 of Genesis 37, on one occasion he was... He was out working in the fields with some of his brothers, and he brought back a bad report of them to their father. So in their eyes, Joseph was a spy for their dad. But think about it. 
is it not possible that Joseph's not just a tattletale here, but that he was doing what he thought was right based on his father's expectations? Is it not possible that Joseph's not just running trying to get his brothers in trouble because that's what little brothers do? I was a little brother, I know. But that he's trying to do what he was brought up to do that's right. You know, they also hate him because he was daddy's favorite. We know the whole coat of many colors thing. He's daddy's favorite, and so they hate him because of that. Look at verse 3, Genesis 37. It simply says that Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And in verse 4, it says that um, Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He's hated because dad prefers him. Dad favors him. In fairness, it's not Joseph's fault that his daddy loved him more. Joseph didn't do anything that made his dad love him more. He just happened to be the firstborn of his father's favorite wife. It's, it's dad's problem. He's the one who picks a favorite spouse. He's the one who p- picks a favorite child. That's his problem. You should have your issues with him, but it's much easier to take those frustrations out on Joseph. And finally, we can see that they hated him because he dreamed that he would rule over them. We see that in verse 5 or verse 4 and 5 where he had a dream and he told it to his brothers and they hated him even more. The dream depicted Joseph's brothers bowing down to him and that didn't sit well with them because they're all older. And in their culture, Tenure and superiority mattered a great deal. But in their culture, so did dreams. Because God often communicated with people through their dreams. And one thing we need to remember is that when people had dreams back then, they tended to share those dreams with others. Jacob shared his latter dream with his two wives, Leah and Rachel, in Genesis chapter 31. A little bit later, the cupbearer and the baker are going to share their dreams with each other and with Joseph as they're sitting in prison. And then in Genesis chapter 41, we're going to have Pharaoh share his dreams with his his magicians as well as Joseph. That's what you did when you had a dream that surprised you or confused you. You shared it with other people. Do you know why? Because God might be trying to communicate something to you through that dream. And if you can't figure it out, maybe somebody can help you. And I can't help but wonder, what if Joseph is sharing this dream he's had, these dreams he's had with his dad and with his brothers because they are so confusing to him and so startling to him and he's not sure what to make of them. So he's going to his family in innocence to tell them, hey, I've had these dreams. Do you understand them? Because I don't. What if, what if this isn't about Rubbing it in their face. What if Joseph is sharing the dreams because that's what you did when you had a dream you didn't understand? My point is this. What if in everything that happens here, Joseph is actually innocent? What if he's not a tattletale? What if it's not his fault that his dad favors him? What if he didn't share the dream because he wanted to rub it in everybody's faces? Is it not possible that in everything he does here in Genesis chapter 37, Joseph 
acted with character, doing what he thought was right in each situation. And in the end, he's mistreated, betrayed by his brothers and sold as a slave. His reward for doing what was right is mistreatment. And as you return to school, you may do everything right and still get mistreated. As you go to work in the morning, you may do everything right and still get mistreated. Scripture is not ignorant this subject that mistreatment happens to people who don't deserve it. And doing what is right might result in other people not treating you fairly. Because the world doesn't always operate by God's standards. Your character will be tested by people who mistreat you. And your character will be tested by environments that challenge you. I mentioned earlier that we have 13 chapters on the life of Joseph. Of those 13 chapters about Joseph's life, only one takes place in his homeland of Canaan. In Genesis chapter 37 and verse 28, at the end of this chapter where Joseph is sold by his brothers, we're told that the Ishmaelite traders to whom he was sold, they took him to Egypt. And for the rest of Joseph's story, until his bones are escorted to Canaan, he's in Egypt. He's an alien in another country. And that's significant because in Egypt, Joseph will be the lone practitioner of his faith. The people of Egypt don't worship the God of Abraham. In fact, they don't just worship one single deity. The entire faith system in Egypt is different than what it was back in Canaan. So Joseph is entering a situation where he's going to be challenged to keep his faith in a faithless place. As a result, the Egypt experience will show whether or not his character caters to the presence of other believers. But not only that, he's going to be in Egypt and Joseph will be among a people who don't maintain these same ethical standards that God had instilled in Abraham. Joseph's entering a situation where he's going to be challenged to keep his morality among an immoral people. And as this Egypt experience will show whether or not his character conforms to his surroundings. And in Egypt, Joseph will face a different social status. He's no longer going to be the favored son. He's going to be a slave. So Joseph is entering a situation where he's going to be challenged to endure humility in an inhumane place. And so that Egypt experience will show whether or not his character is contingent on his station in life. The point is, Egypt is the ultimate character test. Because it's easy to maintain your character when you're in Canaan. When you're surrounded by people of the same faith. When you've got your family to fall back on. When you're in that protected environment of God's people. It's, it's easy to maintain character. It's much more difficult 
to maintain your character when you're off in Egypt, where you're all alone. You know, it's easy to have character when you're at the church building. It's easy to have character when you're at Bible camp. It's easy to have character when you're on a retreat. It's easy to have character when you're among the body of believers. But will you have character when you're in the classroom? Will you have character when you're on the school bus? Will you have character when you're in the cafeteria? Will you have character when you're on that school trip or when you go off to college or when you're just walking in the hallways? Will you have character when you're at your desk? Will you have character when you're on the assembly line? Will you have character when you're at the work site? Will you have character when you're on that sales call? Will you have character when you're on that business trip? Will you have character when you're stuck in traffic? See, here's the thing. Real character will not allow changing environments to change a person's commitments. In other words, circumstances do not make the person. They reveal the person. I've been told that when a ship is finished, they take it out to the ocean for what's called sea trials. And the purpose is to discover if the vessel is seaworthy or not. They don't keep it in the dry dock and spray water on it to determine if it's going to leak. No, no, no. They put it out on the water where waves and winds will affect it. And if it takes on water then it will be deemed not seaworthy because of a lack of structural integrity. Now, the ocean didn't cause the breach in integrity, but it did reveal it. In other words, the tests don't necessarily cause flaws in character, but they will certainly show them. And so God will use people and God will use environments to function as your ocean. He will use them to test your character. David said in 1 Chronicles chapter 29 and verse 17, I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. So as you guys return to school, Know that you're going to face some character tests. Know that now so that you can prepare for how you will handle them then. Joseph teaches us that character will be tested. And Joseph also teaches us that character means wholeness. Character means wholeness. At some point during your academic career, you had to learn what an integer is. If you're like me, you've long forgotten such mathematical definitions. But this term caught my attention because it comes from the same root word as the term integrity. And what is an integer? An integer is a whole number. It's just a fancy word for a whole 
An integer is not a fraction. An integer is a whole number. That's pretty simple. If an integer is a whole number, and it comes from the same root word as integrity, what do you think integrity ultimately means? Integrity means a whole person. If you have integrity, you are a whole person. Now let's understand that for a moment. What does it mean to be a whole person? A whole person is a person who does not live a fractioned life. A whole person is not someone who acts one way in one context and another way in a different context. A whole person is a person who does not divide life between the sacred and the secular. A whole person is the same no matter what context they find themselves in. A whole person does not compartmentalize life. And Joseph was such a person. You know how I know that? Because Joseph Joseph was the same man behind closed doors that he was in the public arena. Let me show you what I mean. See, Joseph demonstrates character in public settings. In the first six verses of Genesis chapter 39, we see the public setting of Joseph's life after he was sold into slavery. He's purchased by a man named Potiphar, and because the Lord was with him, he was successful in all that he did. Potiphar took notice of Joseph's success. Potiphar took notice of the fact that the Lord was with Joseph, so he put Joseph in charge of all that he had, and the end result was that the blessing of the Lord was on all that Potiphar had in house and in field. So from the outset of his time in Egypt, Joseph had a public life. His public life centered around his occupation as a steward over Potiphar's house. Joseph's job was not glamorous. He was ultimately a slave. But Joseph didn't let his lowly position affect his high moral character. In particular, Joseph didn't give into the seduction of mediocrity, as one preacher put it. See, Joseph didn't have a minimalist attitude toward work. He didn't approach his job or his role with the mindset that I'm going to do the least I have to do to get by. Instead, he adopted the mentality of Colossians chapter 3 and verse 23, which says, whatever you do. Do it heartily as to the Lord, not to man. And that's what defines a person of character. A person with character like Joseph understands who they are really serving. Joseph wasn't really serving Potiphar. He was serving God. Joseph, because he was a person of character, he worked with just as much diligence for Potiphar as he did for his own father. He worked with as much diligence for Potiphar as he would for the Lord. And in so doing, Potiphar empowered Joseph, and God blessed Potiphar. And you know, when I look at Joseph's work life here, it tells me three things. It tells me that a person of integrity produces quality work. 
We're told in chapter 39 and verse 3 of Genesis that the Lord was with Joseph and the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. In other words, Joseph was successful because his work ethic was God-centric. And such a work ethic is not neg- such a work ethic is not lazy. Such a work ethic is not compromising because the individual knows that their work is a reflection of God. I also notice as I look at Joseph's life here that a person of, of, of character and integrity doesn't have to be doesn't have to be micromanaged. In verse 6, we're told that Potiphar left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. In other words, Potiphar didn't have to worry about whether or not Joseph would get the job done, or whether or not Joseph would defraud him, or whether or not Joseph would be neglectful about his duties. A person of character is not the kind of person that you constantly have to look over the shoulder of to make sure they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. People of character can be trusted. And this also tells me that a person of character is a blessing to those he or she works with and for. Did you notice that Potiphar benefited from David's work? We're told in verse 5 that from the time that Potiphar made Joseph overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed Potiphar's house for Joseph's sake. So Joseph became a blessing to Potiphar because of Joseph's work ethic. Joseph's work ethic demonstrated his character in that public arena. But what about his private life? After the description of Joseph's success as Potiphar's steward, we have this memorable incident that unfolds throughout the rest of Genesis chapter 39 involving Mrs. Potiphar. The Cliff's Notes version of the events that unfold is this, that Potiphar's wife found Joseph to be attractive and tried repeatedly to seduce him. Joseph managed to ignore her for quite some time, but one day she grabbed him when no one else was in the house. Joseph managed to free himself, but she had such a grip on his clothes that she ripped them off of him. And she was so upset that Joseph rejected her that she pretended like he was the one trying to seduce her and use his own clothes as evidence against him. The end result was that Potiphar was furious with Joseph. He believed his wife, and he imprisoned Joseph as a result. Now, I want you to think about this from Joseph's perspective. Did Joseph have some reasons why he should give in to Potiphar's wife? I think so. I think it would have been very easy for him to come up with some reasons to accept her offer. He could have justified giving in on the grounds that it would have been extraordinarily easy for him to keep their affair from his master. He could have justified giving in on the grounds that a relationship with Mrs. Potiphar would have been very beneficial for him. She could have made life even easier for him. She could have made him the favored one again. He could have justified giving in on the grounds that God had seemingly forsaken him. He's not in Canaan anymore. He's in a new country with new deities. 
And he got there because the God of his ancestors allowed his brothers to sell him into slavery. You see, Joseph could have justified character compromise here very, very easily. But Joseph had a better reason to just say no. And that was, he didn't want to dishonor God. Did you notice what Joseph said in verse 9 of Genesis 39? How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Joseph understood that his actions wouldn't just result in him breaking Potiphar's trust. His actions would result in him breaking God's law. And because of this, Joseph refused to compromise. He may have lost his coat that day, but he did not lose his character. See, people of character, whether they're in private life or in public life, they're the same person. People of integrity, they're not separating the two. They're not acting one way in one context and another way in another context. They are the same through and through. They are whole. This is what Solomon's referring to in Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 9 when he says, whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but he who makes his ways crooked will be found out. When you are whole through and through, private and public, sacred and secular, when you're the same no matter what the circumstances, no matter what the context, you can walk securely. You don't have to look over your shoulder wondering if anybody's going to discover you. Now you may be wondering why I put baby carrots on the screen. And that's fair. I like baby carrots as an illustration of what it means to be whole. For this reason. Now you can argue with me on this because it's not technical by any stretch of the imagination. But for the most part, when you bite into a baby carrot, from the exterior through the interior, it is basically the same. It is basically the same color, basically the same texture, basically the same. Now you can get scientific on me and, and, and to describe the difference between the exterior skin and the interior contents of that carrot, and you can win because you would be right. But from layman's perspective from the person who's snacking on a baby carrot in the moment with some ranch dressing because you know you got to have that ranch dressing right they're basically the same from the inside out that doesn't happen with a cucumber that doesn't happen with a potato that doesn't happen with a banana an apple an orange but with a baby carrot, for some reason, it feels like you're eating something that is consistent from the outside all the way through the core. If you're going to be a person of character, you know what that means? You've got to be a baby carrot. If you take nothing away from today's sermon, take this. You need to be a baby carrot. Go be baby carrots. Because if we're going to be like Joseph, 
We're going to be the same at home and at school. We're going to be the same in the boardroom as we are in the living room. We're going to be the same in the classroom as we are in the bedroom. We're going to be consistent. We're going to be whole. And one last thought as our time is running out. When we think about Joseph, Joseph teaches us that character is valuable. One thing that stands out to me about Joseph is that no matter where he went, he was always put in charge. He was brought by, bought by Potiphar to be a servant in his house, and eventually Potiphar put Joseph in charge of all that he had. And after he's imprisoned, here at the end of Genesis chapter 39, we're told that he was put in charge of all the prisoners. This guy is sent away to prison, and his character is so strong that the prison warden says, hey, guess what, I'm going to put you in charge of all the other prisoners, and I'm not going to worry about what happens in here. That's character. Why do people keep putting Joseph in charge? I think it's because, as one preacher said, the person that fully trusts God can be fully trusted. In other words, Joseph consistently placed his faith in God, which allowed everyone else to place their faith in him. And Joseph proved invaluable to others because of his unchanging character. His unchanging character, or excuse me, his character was unchanging because it was constructed on his faith, a faith that was placed in one who never changes. Joseph didn't put his faith in his country or his family or his job or his attractiveness. He put his faith solely in the one who never changes. And because of that, he never allowed his character to be compromised. Joseph's character didn't change because his allegiances never changed. His God was the God of Canaan and his God was the God of Egypt. His God was the God of Potiphar's house, his God was the God of that prison in Egypt. I think Joseph understood something that Solomon would verbalize years later in Proverbs chapter eight, 28. Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 6, Better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than a rich man who is crooked in his ways. Verse 18 of Proverbs 28, Whoever walks in integrity will be delivered, but he who is crooked in his ways will suddenly fall. What Solomon is saying in these two passages is that character is valuable. It makes you eternally wealthy and it protects you from an unexpected fall. Joseph's willing to sacrifice a lot. He's willing to sacrifice his job. He's willing to sacrifice his freedom. He's willing to sacrifice his home. But the one thing Joseph never sacrificed was his character. Here's my question today, particularly to our young people. 
It's a new school year. It doesn't matter what grade you're in or going into or which school district you're going to find yourself in. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how you get to school. It doesn't matter who you sit by. It doesn't matter who you're in. It doesn't matter who your teacher or teachers are. None of that matters. Because those are just circumstances. Circumstances don't make you. They reveal you. What does your character say about you and what is it going to say to your peers and to your teachers? person that we get to see here, the same person that we would see if we came to your school. Is the person that we see the same person that God sees? Character counts. Not just for those guys. It counts for all of us. Are you someone that has it? As God looks down right now, looks at you, does he see someone with integrity? Does he see someone in whom he can be proud? Does he see someone that he could put through the same difficulties those through who would come out the same way Joseph came out. Does he see someone who's whole and full of character, or does he see someone who wears a mask? See, right now, as we're gathered here today, we have an opportunity to take off the mask, to take off the disguises, to take off the fronts and the facades, And commit ourselves to being just like his son. Maybe right now, you need to make that commitment. You need to start by having your sins removed so that you can start fresh and be a new creation. Maybe right now, you need to make the decision to repent of your sins, to confess that Jesus Christ is the risen Son of God and to be baptized for the forgiveness of those sins. Maybe right now you've made that decision, but you're looking at yourself and you realize you don't have any character and you need to right some wrongs. We're here today because we're all flawed. And God has given us this beautiful community to help one another. Maybe you need some help today. If so, we invite you to come while together we stand and sing. Uh